So anyway, this is Ken and Carol. So I just wanted to start the ball rolling by just asking them a little bit about where they've come from, what they've done, and maybe a little bit about their, because they're not born in New Zealand, but they were born in the UK and have a whole history over there as well. So maybe we could start by asking you guys really what you did before you came to this country and maybe what drew you to come here in the first place. How's that? Let's go. Well, welcome everybody, and um, thank you ever so much for having us. We're really, really thrilled to be with you, and uh, looking forward to this time, and uh, looking forward to sharing lots of ways with you all. Um, well, what an interesting question. We, Carol and I, actually, uh, we've known each other since we were very tiny. Um, Carol's mum and my mum were friends in the same church. And uh, there's a picture of us, because Carol, believe it or not, I know it's hard to believe this, but Carol is actually a few years older than me. And uh, no, no, I know I look like I'm an ancient, but uh, she's actually four years older than me. And there's a picture, isn't there, of Carol's mum and my mum uh, at what it was called Young Wives but it stayed going the group for a long time, so it was a bit of an old wives group, really. And, uh, and there's a picture of us um, with the young wives, and Carol is seven, and I'm three, sitting at her feet. And long has it con- It's been like that for a long time, really, hasn't it? Really? You know? <laughs> so we actually grew up in the same town. In fact, we've got a few pictures of our, our, our town. So that's us as a family. We've, um, we've got two children. So the, the girl in the front next to Carol, they're holding the baby. Uh, that's, that's our daughter, Amy. And the chap behind her with the beard, you know Josh. Uh, and that's our son, Josh. And uh, Amy is married to Ben, and Josh is married to Karen. And that is our little granddaughter, Ava, when she was just, what, three months old? And that was the last time we were all together. And she's, she was three this week. So it was, it was lovely. Amy, our daughter, is actually expecting a baby tomorrow. So uh, they live in a little island called Jersey, which is just off of France. And uh, they live there and uh, are involved in the, the church there as well. So that's them. And as you know, um, actually, how does this work? So I go like that. That's it. As you know, Josh and Karen had a little boy. And that's Carol with our little Jack. And he is, he's 11 months old now, isn't he? So that's, that's, little, that's little Jack. Um, that's, it's a bit dark, I'm sorry about that. See that old lady in the middle there? Well, that's my mum. And she's uh, Mary, Mary Shelley. Wrote Frankenstein, no, not that one. And uh, Mary Shelley, and uh, she's 91 next, uh, next month. Uh, so she's 91 years old, and that is with her with some of her great-grandchildren. She's actually got 13 uh, great-grandchildren. Oh, well, this latest, next one's going to be 13. So she's got 13 great-grandchildren. And, um, and I have three older brothers. Uh, one of them is a Christian, and two of them are not. And so we've got Christians in our family and Christians not in our family. Yeah, non-Christians in our family, that's it, and, uh, and she's still living on her own in the house that I grew up in, uh, in a little place called Rochford uh, in Essex, and, uh, and that's, that's the family, and then, oh, there we are. Yep, just wanted to introduce you to my mum and dad, um, Pete and Liz, I mean, they're, gonna, they're 81 years old now, and it's quite an amazing story, really, because they became Christians in their 30s. So they didn't have God in their lives at all, 
up until that time. But they had little girls and they wanted us to know, obviously, maybe something about God. But they didn't really know why they wanted us to go to Sunday school, but they really did. And so they decided as a couple to find a local church to go to, which was wonderful really, because a few years later they actually yeah, got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and our lives changed really forever as a family. I mean, I, I had my rebellious time from about 13 till about 16. But when I left school, um, I went straight out to work at the age of 16 because I, I hadn't really worked very hard at school at all. Just messed around a bit. But I managed to get a good job. And I was working in an office with a whole lot of young people and older people as well, all ages together. And it was during that year, I was 17, and I thought if I had a job, had some money, had a boyfriend, maybe... Um, did just enjoy buying clothes, all those sorts of things. Like this, this emptiness that I felt was, would, um, would go away, would be filled. But that emptiness kept growing and growing. And so I remember just calling out. I didn't know I was calling out to God, but I was just sort of saying, there's got to be more to life than this. There has got to be more to life than this. I was going out to work. I was earning a bit of money, and it just wasn't, it wasn't satisfying, even with the lovely friends I had around me, people that cared about me going out, you know, you know, just playing cards, drinking a little bit, not too much, but just at lunchtimes with the other guys. But that emptiness just grew and grew and grew. And so people were praying for me, friends, family. And so um, the, um, a crusade, an evangelistic crusade, came to our village, our town in Essex, a big tent crusade. And so I, I just decided to go. Some friends took me, and I walked into that room, and, or a large tent, and the worship was playing and I just thought I just really as I sat down and started to sing I couldn't stop shaking I was really just I know I was under the conviction of sin in my life and I knew I knew without a shadow of a doubt that I was going to go forward and I was going to give my whole life to Jesus and I just knew that I would never look back which is quite an amazing thing to feel and sense but it was it was so strong went forward and Made my life to Jesus, and they prayed for me to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, which actually just brought in such light and love to my heart. And it gave me such a hunger to read the Bible, and I knew that's what the Holy Spirit was doing within my heart. I was so hungry to read the Bible, and so I was at work, going home early from work because I was on flexi time, and I was just hungry hungry to know God, hungry to read. And I was, I was only 17, but something very remarkable was, had happened in my life and was taking place. And, yeah, so that's what happened to me. That's our hometown, a little town called Rotsford. It's very, very ancient, goes back hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, see that, those little cottages there? The one on the left uh, is the house we moved into when we first got married. Uh, it was over 300 years old. Nobody actually knew how old it was. And it was made from the timbers of a ship. Because uh, you could see it in the, 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 the beams. And uh, we lived there for a year when we first got married. And uh, it was a very old, ancient place. That is our home church. It's just a square box, isn't it? But it's Rochford Congregational Church. Have you ever heard of a church called Westminster Chapel? Yeah? Well, this was like the same thing but in a smaller village in a smaller town it was like a small Westminster Chapel uh, same denomination congregational same as Westminster Chapel same emphasis on preaching the Bible 
um, and it was wonderful. And our, our pastor there, when we got converted um, and grew up, we grew up through in, in that place, uh, got converted there, got filled with the Spirit in that church, uh, learned to preach, all kinds of things all happened uh, in that actual building and we're very, very, very grateful to them for what happened. Um, and those years were really exciting. We, I'll, I'll tell, get Carol tell the story. I got converted at Carol's baptism. So when she got baptised, I went to hold a towel for a mutual friend of ours and I was under such conviction... I'd spent a month, I was only 16, but I'd spent a month wondering what was going on in my life. And one, because I was deeply philosophical, I'm saying some things don't change really, and I, I was wondering, you know, what's, the, what's the point of life, what's the meaning of this, is this true, is my mother's faith real, or do I want to go dad's way? That's really what it boiled down to. My dad was a man's man, he went through the war, he was a tough, strong man. And, um, and somebody to sort of to emulate in lots of ways. And so was I going to go mum's way or was I going to go dad's way? Well, I'm a boy. Of course I'm going dad's way. But I was convicted and knew that what the faith of my mum and my grandfather and, and so on going back actually was true. So I wrestled with it for about a month. But at Carol's baptism, I held the towel for our friend. We went out to the back so that could get changed and I broke down and I gave my life to Christ that night uh, in absolute floods of tears and, um, and my pastor came through having baptised all these people and looked at me and he said what's, what's going on here and my friend Malcolm said oh Ken's just given his life to Christ and he said come with me then and he grabbed me and made me march me to the front of the church in front of everybody weeping and you know and, and there he prayed for me and, uh, and it was just amazing, just amazing. Um, so uh, I, I got to know Carol about that time because she's a little bit older than me as you've heard and Carol at that time was at uh, Moreland's Bible College which is uh, uh, some hundreds of miles away and she was travelling backwards and forwards and God spoke to you on the train didn't he? Tell us. I've got to think back to that time now. Well, yeah, he did. He spoke to me on the train. Well, once I became a Christian, I started to go to the local youth group, which was attached to this church, of course. And Ken was in the youth group, and he wasn't yet a Christian then, but you've heard that he, he got saved, which was wonderful. Well, God had been speaking to me about the next steps for my life, and I went to something called Mission 80. It was 1979-80 time. And it was in Switzerland, and it was a big missionary conference for young people. And I really felt God say to me that if I went and I was obedient to go, he would tell me the next step for my life. And whilst I was there, he did. There were thousands of young people from all over Europe there. But he did. He spoke to me very clearly and, um, and said that the next step was Bible college. So that got me to Moreland's Bible College near Christchurch for two years. And it was in that time that Ken and I started to yeah, get to know each other better. And we used to write. That's what we did. We could only write letters in those days. The post was very good, twice a day. So we wrote a lot, and we were getting to know each other. We didn't really particularly think anything was happening that was special, but we were just becoming really good friends. And um, even though there was quite a big age difference then, you know, we just really were good friends and just sort of, sort of, sort of just decided to let God do what he wanted to do. But it was... Um, I'm just trying to think now. I was on a train, coming, going back to Bible college, and I did. I, I, was, um, I was hearing a lot from God, and I still do, but it was dreams and visions at times and just to read my Bible so much, I was so hungry. And one time I was just um, coming back from visiting them all 
and um, just had this like a bit of an open vision. And I really felt God say to me and show me really clearly that one day I would be Ken's wife. And so I sort of gulped that down because I knew how young he was as well. And but God just said to me, He said to me, quietness and confidence will be your strength. And God, that was a verse in the Bible in Isaiah. And God made it very clear to me that I was never to do or say anything to Ken. It, I just had to follow his lead. So I know it sounds a bit twee and, and what have you, but you know, if he asked me to go for a walk, then I would just say, yeah, I'd like to come for a walk. Or if he did, you know, said something else, I'd say, yeah, that'd be great. So I had to really keep. I kept quiet on that for nine months. And um, at the end of, you know, at the end you of the. You told your mother, didn't you? I did tell mum. Yeah. Yeah, you told your mum. She came down to the ceiling eventually, didn't she? She did, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, she did. Yeah, she did. And so, I mean, I didn't do or say anything, but just let God do it. And God said to me, not by power or might, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And God just said, I'm going to put love in your hearts for each other. You just have to trust me. So it was a real... I was learning so much. I was very, we were very young and just learning just so much that God was teaching us and learning to listen and learning to be obedient as well. Okay? So I became Christian at 16. Yeah. I fell in love at 17. I got engaged at 18. Got married at 19. Went to the London School of Theology, London Bible College is what it was called, at 20. Because that's when we moved to London, wasn't it? When, when I was 20. And then I was a dad at 21. Uh, I graduated with a degree at 22. I was full-time in the church at 23. I was a father again at some point in this yeah. story. I don't know. No, I don't know. Something like that. I was an elder about 20, when I was about 24. And I was leading the church at 25. So an awful... And it's all been downhill ever since, really. Hasn't it? So there you go. So it, it's, it's, been, it's been an interesting journey, hasn't it? It's been, it has been an interesting journey. But we went from Rochford Congregational Church, and that house, the second one in from the left, that was our home in London for many years. So we moved up to London. And as we moved to London, we said, Lord, we don't mind what we do, but we want to be at the forefront of whatever you're doing around the world. We want to be there. We don't want to be stuck any, in anything. And it was through some Dutch friends... You remember Ton and Hilda Schroeder? You remember them? We did. So uh, it was through some Dutch friends that we ended up going to this church that had only recently been planted uh, by a man called Frank Gamble, who became my boss and, uh, and my friend uh, for many years. Uh, and it was a church that was part of this new thing. It wasn't even called New Frontiers in those days. It was called Coastlands back in those days. And Harrow Church, which is where it was in northwest London, was one of those churches which Terry himself looked after, which meant that we got no help at all, because he was, <laughs> he was going all around the world. But um, we used to occasionally see him, and that was wonderful. I remember the first message I ever heard Terry preach, and uh, it was profound. It was um, about being drunk. It was, uh, be not drunk on, the holy, uh, on wine, but but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was really remarkable. The second message I heard him preach was on the message of grace, and my life has not been the same ever since. And uh, so I really, really appreciated that time. So when we were in, we were in North, we were there from 84 till 2001, weren't we? So, and we're in Harrow, for the church in Harrow, for most of that time, weren't we? Yeah, I'm just, just going to say that um, after... You know, we moved up to London, Ken, Ken went to the London School of Theology, and we got involved with New Frontiers. 
And that was when we were very young. It was probably, you know, mid-80s. And, you know, I just think that the first thing that really Frank asked us to do once Ken had finished his degree, he said, would you go and live on this council estate in, near Watford? And would you, you know, be involved in seeing a church started and planted? So we, went, we moved there. We said, yeah, okay, we're up for that. We'll move there. And there were already a few people living there as well, some other families and some other older people. So we formed a house group together. So we started to meet in our homes, started to pray, worship together, and started to reach out and just to see what God was going to do. Friends from you know, school, work, people you know, that live next door to us, you know, people that you just love and you reach out to. And so over a period of three years, we saw that grow. You know, we used to do open airs all the time, door knocking, talking to people on the streets. We just would do whatever it took, really. We used to have lots of coffee mornings for the women that were around. And really, over a period of three years, we also had a year team with us, with ten young people. So they were with us for a whole year as well, just doing all these sorts of things on this big council estate. And over the three years we were there, the church was started and planted. We saw some amazing things, didn't we? I mean, we, we, we know people now that we met on the streets and on the door, door-to-door work we, we did then. And we saw, we, for example, I became friends with this guy who was a methadone addict. And uh, he really, he was in a really desperate space. And we helped him come off of methadone um, in, our, in some of the friend's house um, without, with, through prayer. It was, it was, there was no medical intervention. It was through prayer this guy came off of methadone and got part, became part of the church. And his group of friends, in over a space of 18 months, they were all dead and he was the only one in his circle of friends who was still alive. Uh, remember we got involved with this family, and he was, a, he was a bare-knuckle fighter. I mean, it's all illegal, but he was a bare-knuckle fighter, and he talked to me about how when he went to do this bare-knuckle fighting, he felt a spirit come on him and empower him to do it, and he, he was a little guy, but he always won. And it was an incredible spiritual thing going on in this environment. It was extraordinary. But we saw some wonderful people, wonderful salvations. And a church got planted, didn't it? But shortly after that, we were asked to move to Harrow, which is like where that is, and we were asked to lead the church there. And in the time we were there, uh, Harrow went from being a leafy suburb, if that means anything to you, where it was all kind of all white middle class, to being in a city in the space of 10 years. Uh, our son went to the local school and he was the only white child in the class. Uh, it was so mixed racially and we loved it. And the church ended up being a really multicultural uh, melting pot, didn't it? Uh, a wonderful, it was wonderful to see what happened. But we also got involved with several church plants during that time. Um, uh, we, from that, in those few years, we saw three other churches get planted out of Harrow Church. Uh, one of them is the church in uh, Hillingdon, which is now a church of over 300 people. A church in Barnet, which is a church of about 200. And the church in Enfield. Well, when we were involved with the church in Enfield, where Toppy leads, you know, you know that name, where Toppy leads, uh, it was um, two couples and a single guy. And that was it. It's now a church of over a thousand people. And you just think, well, how did that all happen? Well, it's just bit by bit as you're just following what God is saying to do and taking opportunities as they come. So that's it, really. What, is that what you meant to ask? No, I didn't actually. No, no. 
That's exactly what I wanted to ask, because it's important that we know your story. But you were there in Harrow, you were working amongst churches, but then something happened because suddenly, well, you went 12,000 miles to plant a church in Christchurch. So tell us about that process. It would be really helpful. Okay, I'll just start that off. Well, it was really... Um, in our church in Harrow, in 1999, um, do you all know Phil and Liz Cooper? So Phil and Liz Cooper started to come to our church in Harrow. And they were from New Zealand, and they were on their OE, and they'd lost their way a bit with God, and they're a bit burnt out because he'd been a youth pastor, and they just started to come along, and we just started to get to know Phil and Liz really, really well. And we spent time with them, we loved them, we cared for them, they, had, they loved our kids who were young teens then, and they were great with them. And we just started to share our story a bit, but they just loved the church, and they said, we'd like to pick this church up and take it with us back to New Zealand. So we just started to ask them, what's this all, you know, why? They just started to share us, with us a little bit about the New Zealand scene back then. And, you know, we just were listening to them, caring for them, and praying for them. And it was through praying for New Zealand that God started to speak to us about maybe relocating and church planting in New Zealand and probably Christchurch. And that was over a period of about a year. And so we talked to Phil and Liz about it. And they were amazed. They couldn't believe it, that we were actually considering doing that. We spoke to our kids who were, oh, sort of 14 and 16. And Amy and Josh were really up for it, which was wonderful, because I think we would have struggled to have done it if our teenage children hadn't wanted to come. But they were up for, for the adventure of it. And so we started to meet and gather people who were interested in church planting in New Zealand. And that was from other churches um, in New Frontiers churches across the UK and, and further afield as well. So, on this picture, <coughs> you see Phil and Liz Cooper, very young looking Phil and Liz Cooper. That's me, believe it or not, I had hair back then. Right? And that's Carol, of course, who looks the same as she's always looked. Right? That's Bob. You remember Bob, Bob Mary Cheeseman. They, so they've been with us right from the word go. That guy there, that's Tim Williams, who grew up in Capity, and Angie, who he met there. Uh, she was born and raised in uh, the Capity Coast area. Now, interestingly, Tim and Angie, they came with us, and, and he, he was an elder in the church for many years. He's now a full-time elder in a church near Southampton, which was his home church. And he's helping a big church, it's about 600 people, he's helping that church through major transition. So we've, we gave an elder and his wife away to that situation as well, which is interesting. But then there's this other couple. Now there's this, this chap here with a moustache. And, and it's very young. Actually, you know exactly who that is because she's absolutely unchanged as well, isn't she, Julie? And, uh, and it was Terry Virgo who put us in touch because uh, Bob and I went to see Terry Virgo and said, Terry, we've got this feeling about going, doing something in New Zealand. And he said, well, you've got to talk to Pete Hanari and Julie. So that's what we did. Um, how it happened, I, it was, the, the guidance was extraordinary at the time. And we needed it to be because it was such a massive, massive move. And uh, what happened is I knew Bob and Mary had a daughter who lived in Dunedin. I knew that. And, um, and Bob and I were involved in appointing some elders in the church. And uh, I was in the garden with Bob playing table tennis. And we were on the same side, you know, batting backwards and forwards. And there was a couple of people on the other side. We were mucking about in the garden. 
And as we were mucking about over this table tennis in the garden, waiting for the barbecue to do, Bob, I said, Bob, what are you going to actually do when you retire? Because he was coming up to 60-something and, and batting back very badly. And, uh, and Bob said, oh, I don't know. He said, but I've got to move out of London because we can't afford to stay in London. I said, Bob, I know what we should do. You and I, we'll move to New Zealand and plant churches. It was like this. And we laughed. Oh, did we laugh? I mean, it was, what a ridiculous thing to say. And we sat down to the barbecue, and Mary Cheeseman, I can hear it now, she said, Ooh, what are you boys laughing at? She said, just like that, actually. And she'd say exactly the same now. And, and Bob said, we've just planned the next 20 years, is what he said. And we just laughed. We just thought this is hilarious. So we drove back home. And uh, it was some little way, and we had to go on a road called the North Circular, and we just crossed the River Thames on the north to join the North Circular. And Carol turned to me, and she said, you know that joke? She said, it wasn't a joke, was it? And I said, no, it wasn't. And we said, okay, so when shall we go? So we figured that there were two possible moments when we could go. And it was something like a year or two years away, or something like that. So we said, right, we'll pray. Well, that's what we've got to do. We've got to pray. And as we started to pray, the most extraordinary things began to happen. I mean, really remarkable things began to happen. Firstly, of course, everywhere we, look, we looked, it said New Zealand. You open a packet of butter, New Zealand. You go to, you're driving along a, a, a road and you come across a lorry and it says New Zealand. Uh, honestly, everything, it was just everywhere. Um, one time, we were, we were walking around a lake, uh, around a cathedral, a lake by a cathedral in a place called St Albans, and we were saying to each other, we must be mad to be doing this. This is crazy. And then there was one other person, one other person in this massive park, and they walked towards us. What did they have written across their chest? New Zealand. And it was just like, it was just everywhere. Then there were some remarkable prophetic words, weren't there? You had some remarkable prophetic words. And then people gave us some remarkable things. I mean, we had this guy turn up one Sunday. We didn't know him. We were only just getting to know him as a church. He ended up being an elder and full-time in our old church after we had gone. But he had just arrived, and he stood up one Sunday, and he prophesied, and he said, there are people here who are moving to New Zealand. And it was like, nobody knew. Nobody knew. And yet he brought it out into the open just like that. I, I went to a big camp like this, but with thousands and thousands of people, and I was having a terrible time. Um, I don't like camps at the best, uh, you know, tents and things. You know, I just, oh, tents, oh, no, it was terrible. And um, I didn't never like that. And, um, and I actually uh, skipped a meeting because I was feeling so desperate. I, I, we'd, we'd had a really, really tough time. Um, my father had died just a few weeks before and I was feeling terrible turmoil. We had a man who got really shirty in our church who wrote to Terry Verga and told him that he was leading a sect, that he was turning this into a cult. And I had Nigel Ring approach me at this camp saying, I've had this letter. Like, oh no. Then we had a member of staff commit adultery and I had to deal with it at that week. So we had to discipline a member of staff Honestly, it was just going from bad to worse. 
and I, I, I had to skip a meeting because I was just feeling wretched. And I went to my Bible and my reading was from Hebrews, Abraham called to a place, go to a place that he didn't know. Called to build a city whose architect, architect and foundation uh, and, uh, and builder was God. You know, and, and I just and I just felt God say to me, "Go back to that scripture that has been on your heart for so long." And when Carol and I were first courting, as they called it back in those days, it was a verse in Isaiah 42: "I shall lead the blind in ways they do not know. Along unfamiliar paths I will guide them. I will make rough places smooth before them." Uh, and turn darkness into light, these are the things I will do, I will not forsake them. And I felt God say to me, read it in context, so I started to read Isaiah 42. And Isaiah 42 starts by saying, a bruised reed he will not break, a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. And I was feeling wretched, really wretched. And then it goes on, and three times in that passage it talks about what God is going to do in the islands. And God, it was just like, between the eyes, my goodness me, Lord, this is what you want to do in the islands. I, 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 I didn't come, we didn't come to Christchurch, although it was a very small gathering of people. We didn't come with the thought that we wanted to plant a church. Our thought was that there needs to be a whole network of churches across the islands, not just the two south, the south north islands, but the islands of the Pacific and further into the islands of Southeast Asia. And that's always been our heart. And we only just feel like we're just starting. You know, it's only like, it's how far have we got in all of these years? Well, it's been a tough few years, actually. Truth has been told, it's been a really tough 15 years in many, many ways. Wonderful, but tough as well. And yet, you just, just feel now, we're just starting to get going. With a plant, a church, one church plant in 15 years from to Nelson, but we're so thrilled at what's happening there. So that was that room, that was our house. Um, and uh, some of those people, look, there's, there's that face again. You can just see that one there. You can see that, that's, that's my Josh and Amy and Carol there. That, that's this, uh, that is Louisa, and that's Matt, and that is Bethany Waters as a little baby. And Matt and Lou, uh, Matt's been an elder with us for some time, and Louisa there has been working for us as a church uh, in administration and children's work for the last four years. And they're just about to move to Nelson with their family to join the team up there as well. So it's another elder that we're giving away into another situation um, up there. And oh, that's Kate. So many of you know Kate and Esther and, uh, and Aidan and Lisa there. And, um, yeah, so Sam Watson, Sam Becky's mum and dad, so that's who they are. So there you are. So, and it went from there. That's us on the beach at, uh, on Christchurch when we first arrived. And uh, little Josh Watson, I've covered up his private parts because um, <laughs> he, he wouldn't appreciate me showing a picture of his private parts uh, in, a, in a public meeting. Um, that's not acceptable. And... There's us a few years later in one of our locations, and that was a few years ago um, at Living Springs, uh, a camp that we did a few years ago. So we just feel just starting going, really. Have we said enough? Oh, there's another one. We'll be praying for the Nelson Church plant 
tomorrow evening. We want to do that. Very much part of our family. But it's so good to hear the story, isn't it? Now, many of us have similar stories out here where God has met with you, directed you, and you found yourself in new situations. And I, the, the stirring thing about this, or one of the stirring things, is that you're in a context where God is still speaking. So be very aware of that during the times of worship we have and the preaching, the teaching, the prophetic. Be very aware that God, since we can, since we barely started, we're just starting. I feel that very strongly. We're just beginning. Compared to what God has called us to do, we have, we're just beginning, but we are on the way. And so part of that on the way is God speaking to us. So please be very aware that you're in a prophetic context, a context where God will put his finger on you and maybe direct you into a whole new scene. And certainly we're praying that God will enlarge us all in God these, this weekend, aren't we? So it's wonderful to hear your story. It's a precious story to tell. But God has also got stories for us all to walk into as well of what he wants to do. Let's just stand, shall we? Can we just